0: But it was in 1961, on January 20th, that in his inaugural address, many of us will remember uh, the newly elected president of the United States giving his famous challenge, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And my fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you but what together we can do for the freedom of man. And finally, whether you are a citizen of America or citizens of the world, ask of us here the same high standards of strength and sacrifice which we ask of you. With a good conscience, our only sure reward, with history the final judge of our deeds, let us go forth to lead the land we love asking God's blessing and his help but knowing that here on earth God's work must truly be our own. Now if we personalize Kennedy's statement it would read don't ask what can my country do for me instead ask what I can do for my country. And add, don't ask what can God do for me, but what can I do for God? For the common theme of today's readings is the nature of our obligations to God and to our country. And the readings show that with God's help, We can be ideal citizens of both, God and Earth. I'm sure many of you are like me, tired of all the political commercials. I'm going to make a vow to watch only cooking's channels from now on. But we are where we are, and I don't mean to make this a political homily. It's not. But the common theme, as I said, is our obligations to our country and to our God. And in the first reading and in the gospel, a world superpower, the Persians, are matched up against the kingdom of God. Isaiah, The prophet foretells how, unintentionally, the policies of the great Persian emperor Cyrus will become a part of God's plan for the salvation of His chosen people. And in the words of our responsorial song, say among the nations, the Lord is King. It summons all of Israel and all the nations and all creation to acknowledge that God is the king of all, the king of the universe. In the gospel, Jesus escapes the trap. In the question, is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? He states, "Repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. By this answer, Jesus reminds his questioners that if they're so concerned and careful about paying taxes to the state, they should be much more concerned, much more careful about their service to God and their obligations to him as their creator and Lord. Now, in the time of Jesus, there were three prominent Jewish sects and I'm gonna divide the church in half. You guys are the Pharisees on this half. You guys on this half are the Sadducees, okay? And the people at home, you're the Herodians. So we got Sadducees, Pharisees, Pharisees, just to make sure you're listening. Pharisees, Sadducees, and at home, the Herodians. The Pharisees, you are rapid, rabid nationalists. You're totally anti-Roman. You live in Palestine. You're against the Romans. Sadducees, you're, you're secular. You practice your religion. But you deny the idea of being resurrected. At the end of death, there's nothing. No afterlife, no eternal bliss, no eternal punishment. The Sadducees, you believe this life is all there is. So the Sadducees Sadducees scoffed at the idea of of spiritual beings, of angels and demons. So the Pharisees had the other view. So if anyone wanted to start a fight, they could just talk about angels and the the Sadducees and the Pharisees would, would have at it. Herodians, you're at home. You're willing to collaborate with the Romans, hoping that you gain some benefit with them. And all three groups, together with the chief priests, accused Jesus of associating with sinners and challenged the authority of Jesus to teach in the temple. So the question put to Jesus in Matthew, verse 17, chapter 22, is actually the first in a series of four questions that are asked. Besides today's question of the legality of paying taxes, there are two other questions, one asked by the Sadducees, one asked by the Pharisees, and one asked by Jesus. The Sadducees asked Jesus' opinion on the details of the resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was. He silenced them. And while they were conferring among themselves, Jesus asked the question of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Herodians. What is your opinion about the Messiah? Whose son is he?" And the answers to those questions are another homily on another Sunday, not today. Now I want all of us to realize that we all have dual citizenship. We all have dual citizenship. I brought my passport to show you that I'm a citizen of the United States. See, it says right here, United States. Raymond Bucon. And I only lost my passport once. I'm also a citizen. We're also all citizens. I should have brought my baptismal certificate. Couldn't find it. But I know my godmother, my godfather. I know that on September 6, 1953, I became a, a child of God. And that's the other uh, realm of which I am a citizen. This doctrine is sometimes called the doctrine of two powers, meaning the life of a Christian has a twofold allegiance, the ruling government in civil and secular matters, and to God and the church as regards to spiritual and religious issues. So by birth, we become citizens of the country we're born, and by baptism, we become citizens of heaven. In every age, Christians are faced with balancing the demands of Caesar and the commands of God. Jesus' answer forms the guiding principle in solving the problems that arise from this this dual citizenship belonging to our God and belonging to our country as Christians we are to obey the government even if it's pagan and non-Christian. A loyal Christian is always a loyal citizen. Failure in good citizenship is also failure in one's Christian duty. And we fulfill our duty as loyal Uh, to our country by obeying the just laws of our state, paying all lawful taxes, contributing our share whenever we're called upon toward the common good. In The scriptures, both St. Peter and St. Paul stress the obligations of the early Christians to be an example of their loyalty as citizens of the state. Similarly, we fulfill our duties to God by being faithful, loyal, active members of the spiritual kingdom of God, the church, which Christ established on earth. Thus, a real Christian is at the same time a good citizen of his country and a good citizen of the kingdom of God, but his priority is his allegiance to God. As the famous martyr, St. Thomas More, said of himself, I died the king's good servant, but God's servant first. So cooperation with a, a, a secular authority may not interfere with our primary duty of giving back to God our whole selves in whose image, like the stamp on the coin in Jesus' time, we are made. Consequently, we give taxes to the government, but we give ourselves to God. So what is the modern approach? Well, as citizens of a multicultural, multi-religious country, we respect others' religious traditions. We take care not to mix up religion and politics. There's no reason that the state, and the church cannot work together to improve the lives of all citizens. There's usually no conflict unless the government forces people to act in a way contrary to God's law. And it is true that there are times when the demand for the separation of church and state appears to leave our civil life without moral direction But we who belong to Jesus have in his church an unchanging moral compass and the guidance of the Holy Spirit to shape our lives and to choose the good of God. In our fidelity to God then we're to model for our brothers and sisters of our country and of our world how to be loving how to be humble how to be of service. And this flows from our service to our country as well as our service to the church. We believe through Jesus, the whole world will eventually find his peace. And further, the experience of 2,000 years of political history since the time of Jesus makes it clear that, Combining church and state actually jeopardizes civil liberty as well as religious freedom. You know, dictators demand our faith and moral practice, our hopes, our dreams, our consciences, our labor, our children. But in a democracy, the citizens do not serve the state, it's the state that serves the citizens are elected uh, our people elected to the government are public servants hence Christians like other citizens were able to freely criticize the government to seek change in policies to remove office holders whose representation is invalid and to seek new benefits and protections for the welfare of all the people Our political freedom also secures our liberty from religious tyranny and unwanted political interference in religious matters. So we must all act in accordance with God's law and not man's. Because while the state only exists in this world, God's law exists in this world and in the next world as well. What life messages? does this reading bring to us? Well, we need to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And how do we do this? Well, like it or not, we pay our taxes. It's the duty of Christians to pay for the services and the privileges that government provides. Things like, oh, paved roads, police and fire protection, banks, schools, other necessities. If we refuse to pay for these things, who's going to pay for them? And another way of giving to Caesar what is Caesar's is to participate actively in the running of the government, electing the most suitable candidate, influencing them through frequent contacts. Third, we must submit to civil authorities and respect the laws of our country in order to live in peace. As loyal citizens, we must also see to it that our elected representatives are faithful in maintaining law and order in our country and in promoting the welfare of all its citizens. When the state oversteps the mark and puts itself in place of God, Christians are, as a last resort, absolved from obedience. We must give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and not the things that are God's. We must obey God rather than human beings. Second, we're called to give to God what is God's. How do we do this? Well, since everything is God's, we must give ourselves to him 100%, not just 10% on Sunday. We are generous in fulfilling our Sunday obligations We should find time every day for a little bit of prayer, a little bit of Bible reading, the proper training of children in faith and morals. And as St. Augustine tells us that giving to God what is God's means we're doing justice to God. This requires we return to God with dividends that which God has entrusted to us, remembering that we are managers or stewards of God's gifts. Every year we're invited to make a stewardship gift that helps spread God's kingdom, spreads God's love. Every pledge of, and every dollar really touches the human heart of somebody else. Also, active participation in the ministries of one's parish is the offering to God of our time and our talents. That's another way of giving God God's due, our whole self. And finally, we need to always check our heart's investment. When Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's, The command really asks us whether we have invested our heart in the right place. Investing our life, our life's blood, into something that will yield a return that is is worthy of our whole human life. I like to say that the benefits of, of being a Christian are out of this world. I hope that's true for all of us, that one day we rest with the heavenly community, not just worrying about what we get out of life here. I want to sum up in case someone's mind wandered, I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I have an absentee ballot and I don't even know yet who I'm going to vote for. Like I told you, I'm going to watch more cooking shows I'm gonna pray that, that I pick a candidate that, that will help the ideals of, of helping all of us live as, as faithful citizens of our country and faithful citizens of God's kingdom. I know many are struggling with, with what to do, how to vote. The important thing is that we do exercise our right to vote, and that we give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen.